0: Thomas King is a writer, academic, and broadcaster. His father was Cherokee and his mother of Greek and German descent. He grew up in California and received a Ph.D. in English literature at the University of Utah. He's currently a professor at the University of Guelph where he teaches native literature and creative writing. King published his first novel, Medicine River, in 1989 to critical acclaim. He quickly followed it with a children's book, A Coyote Columbus Story, and his second novel, Green Grass Running Water, both of which were nominated for the Governor General's Award. In 2003, he was the first indigenous person to deliver the Massey Lectures, The Truth About Stories, a native narrative. A year later, he was inducted as a member of the Order of Canada. He has edited The Native in Literature and All My Relations, the latter an anthology of contemporary Canadian native literature. He's also created and written a series for CBC Radio called The Dead Dog Café Comedy Hour. I met with him recently at the Kingston Writers Fest to talk about place, storytelling, possibilities, and his love of the Alberta landscape. I run a website called Literary Tourist, so place and myth and literature. So the first question is, why is land so
1: important to the Indian? I suspect that land is important to a great many people. In North America, it has become less important because it's become a commodity and because people move so readily, and there's, there's so much motion within the population, so that land has lost a lot of the force that it had before. For Native people, in part, because we have a long history with a particular piece of real estate, and in part because uh, the reserves themselves are Native homelands, and so they're there in place because of that long history, and uh, all of the stories associated with the land, the ceremonies associated with the land, I think land has a, uh, plays a larger part in our lives than it does in other people. But you can certainly have non-Natives who occupied a piece of land for you know hundreds of years who might have the same relationship to it that we do. They tell th- their stories. Yeah, absolutely. So I don't think this attachment to the land is particularly a, a Native issue. It's just that most other people in North America have just lost that for a variety of reasons, but i uh, have just sort of lost that. And once you make land a commodity, then you destroy you destroy much of the power that land has, could have in your life and culture. I'm interested
0: in, in the connection between the story and the land, mm-hmm. and why storytelling, or does storytelling enhance the value
1: of that land? I think as a storyteller myself, I can't speak for the storytellers, but uh, think for myself I, I do get tied to particular pieces of real estate most all of my novels are set out in the area of Alberta on the prairies now oddly enough I wasn't born and raised to that environment I was I was born in uh, Central Valley California uh, if I think if anything is being home it's the coast it's the Pacific coast lived in Eureka for a number of years uh, I, I love that part of the world. But I've never written a novel about that part of the world, and I can't tell you why, except that there was something magical about that landscape in Lethbridge. Now, I didn't like the wind. I didn't like the dryness. I mean, it got so dry there in the winters you would rub your elbows together and start a fire. But there was something about that landscape, and maybe it was because the Blackfoot were there, and I got in with the Blackfoot, and I've got a lot of friends on the reserve. Maybe it was because they took me around that landscape and showed me what it was. But it's a powerful landscape for me, And oddly enough, uh, the new novel I've just finished that will come out in September of uh, 2014 called The Back of the Turtle is the first novel that will be set someplace else. It's set on the coast. I finally went back to the coast and I said, you know, before I die, I've got to write a book about the coast because I spent so many years out there. But it's the Alberta landscape. Can, you, can, we, my can we
0: dig down a bit further into that? Like,
1: we like, can try.
0: <laughs> no, we don't want to hit oil. But we, we, want to, well, we, we might want to hit oil. <laughs> <laughs> what is it that makes that place so worthy of your spending so much time thinking
1: and putting your imaginative powers together with it? Well, it's, it's hard to describe it, but I, as best I can, one, there is a mythical quality to that landscape. It feels ancient. It feels vast. When you stand on the prairies around Alberta, you feel very small, especially under that sky that goes on forever. If you hang out with the people on the reserve at uh, Standoff and Brockett uh, and Siksika outside of Calgary, uh, Galician, and they start telling the stories about the land and, you know, their families, you get a real sense that there is this continuous story that is a part of the land, the land is a part of the stories. It's a powerful thing. Why it's powerful for one person and not for the next person? I don't know. I, I can't tell you that. But for me, I've always felt I've always felt kind of small and insignificant on that landscape, but it wasn't a bad thing. It sort of set me in my place and gave me a sense of you know where my position in that natural world. awe or wonder or yeah, there really there really was. I mean, mm. sometimes uh, in the late afternoon, when the light uh, dropped down and slanted across the prairies, it was it was spectacular, just stunning. I mean, a lot of times the wind was blowing and drove me nuts, but there were magical moments, and I had never I never found that any place else except possibly the coast. Every mm. so often, but. Uh, the Alberta landscape was—it uh, just—it it just infected my imagination in a way that nothing else did.
0: So, how can someone else try to replicate that experience? I have no idea. I mean, they can go there, obviously. They maybe, can go maybe, there. Uh, maybe you could give give some idea of exactly where, for you, is it
1: very specific place? Not particularly, but uh, certainly standing in Lethbridge or driving outside of Lethbridge going to uh, Mountain View, for instance, on the way to Waterton Lakes and looking off at uh, the Rockies in the distance. Uh, The Rockies from the eastern side are spectacular. From the western side, it's nothing. You don't even see them. Because uh, you're in the mountains, you can't see them, you know, full and in profile. But on those prairies, you can see that. You can see the land stretched out to it. Uh, rivers turn silver in the late afternoon. Uh, you've got that wonderful golden color that mixes in with the deeper purples on it. So visually, it's a feast for the eyes, but there is that sense that this is, this is a primal land and uh, that you can still capture that, that sense of the place. So Lethbridge, working your way west, there are a couple of places on uh, the Blackfoot Reserve at Standoff. Belly Buttes, where uh, some of the sun dances take place, is a magical spot. just absolutely magical. And you can,
0: as a visitor, you can contact them and say, I'd like to participate somehow?
1: I don't know what their rules are now. Uh, in, uh, when I was there, I think they were reasonably, I wouldn't say welcoming, but tolerant. Mm-hmm. of people coming in to watch the Sundance. Normally, it's good to have an invite, a family that will you know, say, come on in and stay in our lodge uh, during the Sundance. Uh, part of the ceremony you're not allowed to see. Some of the ceremony is a more public. Now, that was when I was there. I don't know what the Blackfoot have decided to do since then. Is there a one of your books that best yeah. captures what we've just been talking about? Oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy. Uh, they all deal with it. If we if were talking about the people off the reserve and that uh, community, then Medicine River would be the one. If we're talking about the mythology of the place, then uh, maybe Greengrass Running Water. If, if we're talking about the landscape itself, a sense of the landscape, a sense of the smells and the light and everything else, I, I guess it would be uh, Truth and Bright Water, which is my favorite novel. Of the bunch. Why that? I, I don't know. It just, it started off, I started off the novel, it was supposed to be a novel about my mother, and I had called her up and said, Mom, I'm going to write a novel that's about you, and there was a long pause on the phone, and uh, I said, are, are you worried? And she says, no, she says, by the time you finish, you won't recognize myself, and I said, no, that's not true, I said, I'm going to write a book about you, and you just watch, and so I started writing this novel. And as long as I was writing the novel about my mother, I could not do it. Because one of my rules in fiction is you have to be willing to hurt everybody. You have to be willing to kill all the characters. Mm-hmm. You have to be willing to be naughty to them. And I, I couldn't I couldn't mistreat this one character who was my mother. Mm-hmm. So I had to go back and start all over again. And throw the idea that I was doing a book about my mother. And so I wrote the book, and I was very pleased with it. sent it to her, and I said, what do you think? And she mm-hmm. says, I don't recognize myself anywhere there. And I, I had to admit, okay, you know, I... Tried to do about her, but uh, couldn't in the end. But that wasn't the question. What was the question? Why, do you oh, you,
0: why is it your favorite? I mean, obviously, your mother Your mother was... A, she was very, very important in your life because of the absence of your father. Yes, exactly. But... Uh,
1: it's, it's my favorite, I suppose, for a number of reasons. One, it did not get the same attention that the other books got. Uh, reviewers misread it as a coming-of-age novel, quite frankly. That was... That was crippling, I think, for uh, what the book did in the public market. Because uh, they kept saying, coming-of-age novel. I'm going, no, it's not a coming-of-age novel! Just because it has two teenage boys in it does not mean it's a coming-of-age novel. But more than that, it had a kind of combination of reality and myth in it mm-hmm. that I quite liked. I mean, the, one of the major characters, Rose Swimmer, who was, who was painting this old church out of existence on the prairies... That really tickled me a great deal. I, I liked working with that. And I liked working with these half-finished stories, these stories that really didn't have an ending but had possibilities that the reader then could, you know, fill in for themselves. Partly, it was uh, this sense of, of possibilities. I'm a great believer that uh, a novel or a piece of writing should be no more than a blueprint for the imagination. You shouldn't fill in all the pieces. You should allow the reader to do that for you, to create their own stories from what you've started.
0: And that's a, that's a great entree to actually physically going there and, and playing off that as well. Yeah.
1: Hadn't thought of that.
0: <laughs> it's another perspective, I suppose. Yeah. Thanks so much for Pleasure. sharing your stories to none us. Okay.